0: Hi, and welcome to the 40 and Infertile podcast. I'm your host, Victoria, at 40 and Infertile on Instagram. I'm a fellow IVF patient, and this is where I share with you my fertility journey in my late 30s and 40s while also providing you information to minimize your fertility struggles later in life. Hey, everyone, welcome to episode 41. And today is another warrior story. And today we talk all about donor conception and being a donor conceived person. So today we have Haley at DCP underscore journey underscore the number two underscore RP. And yes, it is a bit long and complicated. And we talk about this in the episode too. Uh, But stick with me. I have a link in the show notes. so You can just click the link to follow her. And she's a donor conceived person and a recipient parent. So yes, you heard that right. She is both donor conceived and a recipient parent, which means she offers a really unique perspective on being donor conceived and also the complexities of being a recipient parent. So we start the episode with the intricacies of being donor conceived and how she came to know she was donor-conceived, and her relationship with her non-genetic parent. And then we switch gears and move on to talk about her experience with being a recipient parent and the non-genetic parent. Many of us talk about the insecurities we have of being the non-genetic parent. So we talk about her insecurities with the experience of having a parent that is not genetically related to her. So she has that background and um, talks about how that helps or doesn't help her um, in her current relationship with her children. And she does also talk about the relationship with her sperm donor um, that was used in her own conception. So language in this space can be really unique to the person who is in this donor relationship. So we talk about some of those things today too. As always, please, please, please share uh, this episode with people who may find value in our conversations. And if the mood strikes you, please feel free to donate to the podcast. Um, I will have a link in the show notes along with the books that we discuss in today's episode. They will be linked to my Amazon shop. Your purchase with the link will help me offset the costs of running the podcast. So I'd be so grateful if you opted to buy any of the books, if you could please use the link provided. I want to thank everyone who's part of the 40 and infertile community. I'm so grateful for all of you. Um, I'm so grateful for you being here, for listening to all the guests, their stories, all the experts, um, and I really hope to continue bringing you more content that helps you on your quest to parenthood. So for those of you considering Donor Conception, this is a really great episode to listen to. There's so much to unravel. Haley is amazing. Paths to Parent Hub is amazing. I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, So there'll be a lot to discuss today. So let's get started. Just a quick reminder I am not a physician, and the information provided today is for educational and informational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. So, Make sure that you consult with your own fertility doctor before choosing any medical therapies that may affect your fertility. Unfortunately, every person's situation is unique, and it is vital that you discuss your own personal situation with your fertility doctor to decide what is the best course of action for you. Hi, Haley. Thanks so much for being on here today. I'm so excited to have you. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to speak to you too. yeah, so when i I don't even know how I found you, I think. Um, I think I was looking on one of the other uh, donor, uh, conceived, um, people, um, I think one of their accounts, you know, how they show you like, oh, you might like these people or you might like these people. I think you popped up as one of these people I might like. And so, (laughs) so I went over to your account and I thought, oh my gosh, what a unique perspective to have to be both donor conceived and um, having to use a donor for your own children, I thought this was a really unique perspective to share with people. Because it is, there's a lot of conflicting stuff. And I think for people who are donor conceived and people who are considering using donors to conceive, um, sometimes kind of run into this conflict either you know out in the open or internally about what they should do and i think hearing someone who's experienced both sides of it provides a really unique and important perspective to share so thank you so much for being here to be that person and kind of share your experience and what that's like
1: yeah i mean that's one of the reasons i started my instagram account really was just to kind of a b- bit like blogging really i suppose and just kind of i found it quite um therapeutic myself to sort of get my thoughts and feelings out there. And then inadvertently, um, I, I it did seem to help other people. And like you say, being in both camps, as it were, um, being both donor conceived and a parent to donor conceived children, um, I think it, it it has it can be complicated for different yes. you know, for different reasons being in both camps, but it can also I think it, it's helped me immensely as well. Um and I think that is luckily it's resonated with lots of people within the community, which, you know, I've been really humbled by. Yeah. So let's kind of
0: start with the donor conceived person story. And, you know, I I think a lot of people have this experience where they didn't know as a child. And as a child, you had the story in your mind of what, you know, your idea of life and kind of your story was. And then. Um, somehow, in adulthood, you found this out. So, um, it, tell me the story of how you were—you learned you were donor-conceived—and kind of some of maybe the struggles in that time. Like, you know, how old were you when you found out?
1: I was actually—it um, was—I was very late in life. It was in my early 30s when I actually found out. So, I'm, I'm nearly mm-hmm. 40 now. So, I—I um, I, I basically I was one of the first um, or one of the early ivf babies born um in the uk um part of the first treatments with patrick steptoe and robert edwards which were the the guys you know the the very early ivf consultants the first ivf consultants actually um at Bourne hall clinic and my parents were very fortunate they were enrolled in the really early pioneering trials so Mm -hmm. they'd actually been unsuccessful in their first round of treatment and then the second round of treatment they you know i came along so yeah course that was very early 80s with the first um uh IVF baby only being born a couple of years before me so Mm -hmm. it was very unusual and I was I knew that story growing up so I was told Mm -hmm. about being an a a test tube baby they used to call it years ago yeah um I, I knew about that from about age 12 um but sadly what I didn't know, um, which I found out in a family argument, like I say, in my early thirties, um, was that as part of that early procedure, they'd actually used, um, an anonymous sperm donor, um, to obviously be successful. So that was a huge shock, a huge, um, I, to be honest, I I had no idea. I, I, I kind of, I mean, things now I look back on my childhood and, um certain things about how I am my physical characteristics maybe and some of my personality some of those things kind of make sense now that I know I'm donor conceived but to be honest up until that point I couldn't I would never have imagined that that was what the skeleton in the closet was um until obviously that exposure happened in, in that argument um and my parents were obviously of an era that they were told not to tell so back in like you know even up until like the 90s uh, and into the early 2000s it was kind of common practice for doctors and and the professionals to to basically advise parents look it's in the best interest of you and the family and, and your child not to tell them that a donor was used um but obviously thankfully in recent years that that has changed um that advice but my parents obviously w- w- that's what they were told and that's what they stuck to and then so i think they had a lot of things to obviously this big secret was then out in the open my dad and i did a, a straightforward paternity test just to 100% make sure which obviously came back that we weren't genetically related um and yeah it was just it it was it, it was th- that much of an impact on my life i almost see it now as like before and after when i found out um it was such a, such a, a distinct point in my life and yeah, it it kind of just shaped everything that I thought I knew about myself. You know, at, at thirty, you, th- you you're an adult, obviously, and you you think you know lots of things about your own self, and then to find that information out was was really shocking.
0: Yeah, like, what do you yeah. think?
1: What do you, what story did that change for you?
0: Like, what do you? Because I'm just thinking about some people who, like yourself, find out, you know, later, or maybe they're just now finding out, and they're in their 30s, or maybe they're in their 20s, and they're kind of lost, and they don't know how to feel, and they feel like everything they knew about themselves is a lie. You know, I I would only imagine that that's what it feels like. I don't know if that is, because you know, I, I I'm not in your shoes, but I'm imagining what hearing that story might be like. And, you know, for those guys, like what what might they expect to feel? Because it is normal to feel these things because, you know, essentially you've been lied to. Right. I mean, not maliciously. The the intent wasn't malicious. They didn't know better. They were doing what they were told. They thought it was the best at the time. Um, but what are your thoughts on that? Like what what's what do you feel and what's kind of normal to feel
1: yeah, I think it's a really good question. I think at, at the start, I was just so shocked. I think I was so, it, it really, like, knocked me sideways. Um And obviously, my wife went through it with me. And she obviously knew my family. And it was a huge shock to her and we just i remember just thinking like wow like thinking almost like i'd stepped into a movie like or you know some kind of um like is this really happening so i think that was probably my first reaction and then it went to things like anger um a little bit of denial because i think that's where the it's a bit like the grief cycle i suppose like the old-fashioned grief cycle because it I, i went through different phases the denial side of it was maybe there was a chance that they'd made a mistake. Um, you know, that kind of thing And obviously that was kind of negated then when we'd done, uh, when we, sorry, went through a, a straightforward paternity test. I did have a lot of anger towards my parents initially, um, about the deception. I mean, upon reflection now, I mean, you were talking eight years ago now and I, I've kind of, um, made my peace with it and I understand the reasoning, like you say, it, it wasn't necessarily malicious. Um, but you still, it, it rocks everything that you think you knew and the people that you should trust the most, as in your parents. It does make you think, well, if if they could if they could keep a secret about that, what else could somebody else? You know, it, it kind of really un- makes you feel unstable in those kind of relationships that should be really the most stable. Um, so I think if anyone's listened to this and you're in that situation, I think just kind of go with the emotions because... Um, you and it is like a roller coaster you know it, it, at times it kind of then moves on to a little bit of exhilaration you know when i went on to my own dna discoveries and sending off my dna and all that kind of stuff which weirdly in a weird twisted way was kind of exciting um you know all, all the, everything you can think of and i think one of the big things i found um which i think is quite common as well for late discovery donor conceived people is that um i found like I was extremely sad that I'd lost that connection that I thought I had with my dad. So obviously my dad, is the, the, you know, the, my non-genetic parent, and I, I found as though I was, I almost grieved for that loss that I, you know, that, that genetic connection, even though he was still my dad and he very much is my dad. And that hasn't changed that connection. Um, in that sense, it did make me feel like something, you know, had gone, you know, gone wayward as a result of finding the truth out.
0: Do you think, cause you know, like you were talking about the anger with your parents and I'm sure some of these people feel that anger and disconnect with them. Um, how did you find peace with it and how did you find your way to reconciling with them? Did you see a therapist? Did you talk to your wife about it? How did you kind of f- find, like, you know, I'm just thinking about some of these folks that are finding out and i can imagine that that would be really one painful and two that there's just so much anger about like you said the deceit and stuff like that so how did you find your space to say okay I'm let's kind of move on from this
1: yeah i initially there wasn't really a lot of support i mean this was back in 2015 and you know even things like the we are donor conceived facebook group um i don't even think it was established then or if it was it was maybe shortly after, but I remember like Googling donor conception because by this point, me and my wife obviously hadn't had children. Um, you know, I didn't really know anybody that had, um, that had had children through donor conception. Um, it it was just like a complete alien term to me. Um, so I did turn to the internet, but there wasn't lots of information there. Um, it was mainly my wife I spoke to. I did speak to a lot of friends, but I think, I think a lot of donor conceived people will probably relate to this is people's automatic reaction, because they try they try to comfort you, but their response is, well, it, it doesn't matter. Your dad's still your dad. Um, you know, it doesn't change anything for you and all this kind of things, which I understand why they say those things, but it, it, it's not particularly helpful at that point because it, everything has changed for you in that moment. And, and although, yes, my dad is still my dad, at, th- at that po- that moment where you're right in the middle of finding out and trying to process it all, having those kind of dismissive comments aren't particularly helpful. And I kind of had that from family. I kind of had it from, uh, and the biggest problem as well is that um, because of nobody, my parents hadn't told anybody. So it was like, they were very worried that the extended family would find out the repercussions of that. So I found that element quite difficult because it was almost like I had this huge secret that I wasn't then allowed to tell anybody either. Um, and and that that was quite difficult. But I think I just worked through it. I and mean, I mean, at the when I found out in 2015, I was had a lot going on in my life anyway. Um, I'd only been involved. I'd been involved in a nasty um, accident at work a year before, because I was um, a police search and recovery diver, a scuba diver. So I'd been involved in a really bad accident the year before, um, which eventually meant that I was medically discharged from the police. So I was going through all of that and found, finding out a year later donor-conceived. So I had my health concerns, financial concerns. So I think I had so much going on. I kind of, I did put that element of being, you know, finding out I was donor-conceived in a box to a degree um, until I was in a position to kind of mentally deal with it.
0: Yeah. And I can imagine, especially doing such an important job with kind of the search and rescue, a lot of people identify themselves with that too. So when you, when you aren't able to to do the occupation that you love and are doing so well at, it's like you lose a piece of your identity in that. And then then you find out this other thing, which really kind of is your
1: identity. <laughs> and you're like, oh my yeah. God, this is a lot. <laughs> this is it. Yeah, and it was, you've just absolutely nailed it. It was like I'd lost so much in a very short space of time. Um, and it was it was just really um, unnerving time in my life. Um, and I think mentally, I, I, I mean, I did have, I, I mean, I've had, um, um, we call it counselling in the UK. I've I've had different counselling and things like that over, you know, number of years I've had sort of um, stints of it and things like that, which have been helpful. Um, and I would definitely recommend it to anybody. Um, certainly when, but I would, what I would say is that make sure if it's to do with donor conception, so if you're donor conceived and you found out maybe late in life, or even if you're struggling with being donor conceived and have known, you know, from birth, definitely seek out a counsellor or a therapist that has, that has a specialism in, in that area, because what I have found is that some, you know, professionals aren't particularly knowledgeable in that area and actually ends up doing more, <laughs> ends up becoming more frustrating because you're speaking to someone that isn't really that knowledgeable. Yeah. So that would be one piece of advice is to find someone that is knowledgeable in that area.
0: Yeah. And I think that is true for, you know, even people who are going through infertility or having to do that. Like when you have a therapist who doesn't understand, like sometimes what what that's like and what the experience of going through that is like can also be um, not really helpful. So I think that that's true of so many different things. Like find, finding the right counselor or therapist is just so important, I think, period. And it's hard to do. I don't think... You know, you, you go through a few of them. It, that's normal. It's you, it's hard to find just one that you click with right away, I think. Um, but, yeah, I think that's so true of, like, anything that you're going through. Having someone who just really gets it just makes the whole experience so much easier and helpful. <laughs> At least I think so.
1: Yeah, and it does cost a lot of money as well. That's the other yes. thing, you know, depending on where you are in the world. Like, we obviously have our national health system here in the U.K., but, you know, the weight in this are so long so a lot of the time mm. people end up going private so it is weighing up um you know what your options are but there's lots of online groups now um you know obviously you're you're really aware of like the infertility spaces and the online groups mm-hmm. obviously your podcast which is incredible mm-hmm. because it helps so many people so i think now we're really fortunate for lots of different topics whatever yeah. the whatever the topic is there probably is someone doing a podcast on it or and and that was why i would say with um with the donor conception stuff with being donor conceived um that there are lots of like really good podcasts out now um that you Mm -hmm. can you can go and listen to um and then you you've also got like one of the big books for me that I I, because I used to do a lot of reading was um Danny Shapiro's Inheritance which is quite Mm -hmm. a well-known book in itself but that was probably one of the first things that I read not long after I found out that I was donor conceived that really um resonated with me and and danny shapiro she she talks about she she's a late discovery donor conceived person too but mm-hmm. um she goes into sort of some depth about her own discoveries her searching but how it made her feel and the impact on a wider family and things and that's that's a really really good book i'd recommend
0: okay and do you find that because i mean now you've done all this work you've done all this processing you've come to terms with kind of the whole experience and what that was like do you feel like even now you have days where you struggle or has it or is it mostly easy now?
1: No, I I there's not many days where I really struggle with the donor conception part. I think now what a big thing for me which obviously we can talk about but I I was able to locate my uh, my parents donor so my mm-hmm. after DNA testing. So that for me has been a big healing point. Um I did feel like when I found out the truth that um, there was, like, this void that I really... And I'm a really curious person. I think, Mm -hmm. like, having haven't been a police officer. I think I'm just naturally curious. And I think that I I, I really wanted to know who he was. Um, And it did take me a few years to get to that stage. I didn't rush off, you know, in 2015 and DNA test myself. Actually, I didn't do it for five years nearly. Um, But that has been a big part of it. But I do get days where I... I don't get days where I'm upset about it anymore. I've really come... Mm -hmm full circle with it and I feel very at peace with it um but I do get days where I think wow did that actually happen (laughs) Mm -hmm. I still still have days where um yeah just the whole thing and like it is a little bit surreal um yeah or or I'll have something where I'll I'll come across an old photograph or um I'll have a memory of something when I was younger and think oh hang on and I maybe look at it slightly differently um so that can bring back um and, and I wouldn't say they're negative feelings. It's just mm-hmm. um, reminders, I suppose, which can kind of, mm-hmm. you know, bring it back up in your mind again. But I'm, I'm very, I f- yeah, at peace would be a very accurate word to say how where I'm at with it at the moment. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, let's talk about, you know, finding, locating the donor. Um, I, and I guess we could talk about language too, like what words to use in, in a little bit. But um, the other thing I think about too is some people may want to find, their donor and some people may not want to. And you talked a little bit about what led you to wanting to. You were curious. Were, were there other thoughts that you had that made you say, hey, you know, I kind of want to find this person. And then I guess the second part, too, is you know, mm-hmm. some people may have the same feelings about siblings. They maybe want to find half siblings or not find half siblings. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, the big thing for me, like it was the curiosity, but like I say, I think what the biggest driver for me to search and to actually because I was born of an era where there was no records. So, um, you know, depending on where you are in the world, like in the UK, they do keep records now, thankfully. And, you know, everything's quite well monitored as such um, with donor conceived people. So, you know, number of families who the, the identity of the donor is and things like that. If you were born after 2005 in the UK, they, there are no, such things as anonymous donors anymore which in my opinion is a good thing um but obviously i was born i'm an oldie so uh, there was there literally is no records on me so my only option was to dna test um and thankfully kit prices have come down because i think one of the things i did originally look at you know going back seven years ago eight years ago now um, but the kits were so expensive like even a straightforward paternity kit to do with my dad was like way over 100 pounds and that's quite a straightforward test you know whereas um i think the ancestry kits were like 300 pound plus you know to, to do a basic one so that that did have a little bit of a factor in but also i wasn't that i don't think they were that well known about um, you know now everybody's heard of ancestry and 23 and me whereas eight years ago it wasn't that commonplace that the commercial testing um, but I think one of the things going back to your question, I think that made me really curious was that my wife and I had had children. So we had actually, uh, so I'm in a, a same sex relationship with my, with, um, with Jez and we've been together now for 12 years. Um, and we actually, in 2017, we had, um, twins. So, and obviously we would, we needed, um, a sperm donor in order to do that. Um, and it was after when they were about two years old, and my wife and I really sat down seriously and were like, right, we we want to get this right, you know, with, with the children, like talking to them about their conception story. We don't want them to ever feel like they can't talk about it and that it's something to be ashamed of or essentially just trying to, you know, maybe do things a lot differently to how my parents maybe did it. Um, and I don't know, it really sparked something in me that I thought, well, I, I want them to know that if they do want to search or they want more information or you know, whatever that may be with siblings and things like that, then we as parents would be 100% supportive of that. And I thought, what's the best way that I can show them as a parent that we are supportive? And it's, well, you know, I'll, I'll do a DNA test myself. I'll do the searching for myself as well. So that if they do ever feel like they want to do that and they they want to know more, they, you know, they can look at me and say, well, I did it. So, you know, it's okay for us kind of thing. So that's, that was a big motiv- motivating factor really for why I, so you know why I did decide at the end of 2019 to, to send my kit off. So,
0: and what was that like meeting him? That you're a donor, or I don't. What do I call
1: him? Yeah, I don't know what well, to call him. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Help well, me. What do I fair. say? I mean, there's lots.
1: <laughs> no, that's fine. And do you know what? It's it's great that you ask because some. I think it is a really difficult subject terminology, and I'm you know I started off calling him the donor, like you know my donor, um you know because I didn't know who he was. It didn't have a name. Um, essentially was an anonymous stranger you know I I didn't know what to refer to him as so that was the the term I used but then when I met him so I I, his name was Jonathan and you know he's very open about our situation I was able to locate him through extensive genealogy work Um, I won't go into loads of detail now because it's quite a complex story it wasn't straightforward to find him he wasn't on the site but I was able to find him through um, distant relatives that I was then able to do family tree work and things on to find him um but when I met him I I do like to call him Jonathan you know that that's what I call him in like this kind of setting I do prefer words like biological father or genetic father um which some people find a bit unusual because of the the word father but for me I I feel like that best describes how I feel comfortable referring to him Um, obviously my dad is my dad and he is my dad is my father that raised me he is the one that did the fathering um but jonathan is my genetic father even though he had no involvement in the fathering um so it, it's not straightforward but that's probably the best way to describe it um and that varies donor conceived people some people prefer donor some people prefer um my donor it's loads of like genetic provider you know that there's endless terms that uh, and I think um, it just shows really that p- people, different people in different circumstances feel more comfortable with different terminology.
0: Do Do you feel like, cause this will come up, I think too, when we start talking about your experience with your wife and deciding that you needed a donor um, to conceive and that sort of thing too. But do you, did you feel drawn or a relationship or an emotional tie in any way to Jonathan or, Was Jonathan like, Oh, he's the guy that donated some of his DNA. Like what, how, how did that feel meeting him? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I originally, I just, I really just wanted a photograph. I was desperate for a photograph. I just, I felt like I wanted to just have a photo of what he looked like. Excuse me. And that was my main, that was my main thing that I was looking for that and medical history. I was, I was very, I think, kind of got to an age like as we all do as you get a bit older you you don't really think about stuff like that in your 20s but when you're sort of 30s and 40s and beyond, you, medical history can become quite important um and I'd had obviously some medical complications I'd had some surgeries and some lasting effects of my accident I'd had and some other complications and I just really wanted to know what if there was anything in his medical history that I needed to be aware of because all of a sudden, again, like I've been having all this medical treatment going back to what happened to me with my accident and, uh, and then all the, the stuff to do with my medical discharge from my job. And it was all asking about medical history and stuff in the family. And all of a sudden I thought I knew my history and then I, I didn't. Um, so it was, I wanted to fill the blanks, um, that, that had been created, I suppose. But yeah I I think as soon as I did meet him it was it was really um incredible and there is a there is a physical likeness between us that I can see and others have said it which is really bizarre because he is a stranger yet I'm looking at someone that's incredibly familiar looking um and that was uh and not that I've ever felt I've never felt out of place in my fam you know my family that raised me um although there are certain things about my personality that I think now that I've met Jonathan and physical features as well, that I can maybe say, well, I think that's maybe where I've got that from, um, which been very validating. But yeah, I mean, it was just, there was just a warmth from him when I met him and he's, you know, funny enough, we we featured on a talk um, a few months ago where he actually came on and did a talk with me. Um, and he, it was really, yeah, it was lovely to hear him, um, speak about the situation from his point of view as well because obviously we've talked we spoken about it but to hear what it was like for him <clears throat> excuse me and we both said it was kind of a really um yeah just just quite an amazing experience really very surreal but really really incredible at the same time
0: were you his first uh i guess offspring that he's met or no yeah yes
1: yeah, so oh. no at that point no one at that point had um uh, DNA tested obviously Jonathan wasn't on the DNA site so right. like I said I'd managed to locate him through very distant relatives essentially okay. <laughs> managed to find an address for him um through like all public records I think like dodgy yeah 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 people are like yeah, how did you find that out like yeah. genuinely, it was all like <laughs> it's amazing what you can find out with public <laughs> records and face even like social media and things it's it's it's, it's quite Incredible and frightening in the same breath, but uh, yeah, I was able to get an address for him. Who and it was either basically between him and his brother, uh, because the way that they work out DNA connections on these sites, um, that it would have been very similar levels between him and his brother. Mm I had my I had my money that it was on was on Jonathan, Um, Mm -hmm. but um, yeah, it 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 was just it was just an incredible experience to 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 see him, Um, but he. He hadn't connected with anybody else. No one else had DNA tested, but since then, so that was two years ago, three Mm -hmm. other siblings, so my half-siblings have since DNA tested, so Mm -hmm. they've matched with us. So Jonathan has actually DNA tested himself now to double check Mm -hmm. the connection. Yeah. It also means he's on the DNA sites should any other siblings pop up. But Jonathan hasn't got any children of his own. Um, He's actually Mm -hmm. a gay man as well, so that was quite mind-blowing.
0: Oh.
1: yeah so it was just a really nice, so he he was never able to have children of his own because uh, you know at that time he you know it wasn't legal for a gay man to adopt or you know right. surrogacy wasn't legal and all the rest of it, so um he, he never had children of his own, so um he's seen it as like quite a bonus, I suppose really, yeah, um, and we've all sort of popped up um and yeah, that's it really, but they like i say we we don't know. Because records weren't kept, all we know right. is that Jonathan donated a fair bit um, over sort of a three or four month period. So there could be, well, we've estimated there's probably over twenty, um, based on how many times he donated, but you just don't know. We, we'll never probably know because of
0: mm-hmm.
1: because there were no records. So it will just mm-hmm. be a case of as and when people decide to do it. And obviously, I'm of an era um, where people weren't told, obviously. So right. Um, sadly, people. It will probably be people that DNA test like for fun or get a kit for Christmas. Right. Or, yes. Surprise. It, surprise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and that, so our the latest sibling. It sadly he he DNA tested. He had a kit um, given to him as a present. Um, took the kit and then obviously got his results. And it's very mm. clear with half siblings, a little bit. Um, it, Ancestry way and 23andMe, the way they label it on the website, it can be different mm-hmm. relationship. They predict basically your relationship based on the, the shared genetics. Um, mm-hmm. But with obviously, you know, I'm, I know I'm on a podcast, but like yeah. abbreviations, as like um, you know, <laughs> quote, quote father, son, or yeah. father daughter, um, it comes up like that on the website. Oh my gosh! Um, so there's no, there's no gray area with. With that connection, and, yeah. and sadly, like I say, the 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 last sibling that popped up, um, it, he was met with a picture of Jonathan and it the words "father" underneath. Oh my him. gosh! So you can imagine, you know, yeah, the shock. Yeah, it's quite. That's tough.
0: a really traumatic way to
1: find out that yeah. that is like. We do. You're- I mean, it, yeah, it is becoming. I think because DNA kits have exploded in the last couple of years. I mean, I think Ancestry, I, I don't know what the figures are, but you look at their their, their sales charts and, and where they're selling it in, in the world. And I think last year alone, they extended the countries that they sell the kits to by like 50, um, you know, 50 extra countries on top of what they've already been selling. Um, and that the kit prices are obviously coming down, which means more people are buying You know, they're being purchased for gifts, you know, as an unusual present. Um, So, yeah, lots of people certainly of my era and and even like maybe a decade, you know, after me that weren't told they were donor conceived is, you know, that's sadly the way they're going to find out.
0: Yeah, I've been somewhat hesitant in wanting to do one of these because I don't want to be surprised. In anyway, my yes. friends and I were talking about that. I have uh, one of my really good friends. We were talking about that. We both were like, "Nope, we're not doing it." And because she, she's adopted, also, and she's like, "I am okay where I am." She's like, "I don't yeah. need to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know who else is out there." She's like, "I'm happy where I am. It took yeah. a lot of time. I'm I'm good." And so I think there's a lot of different um, viewpoints on how helpful these are for you. And then, like you said, some of these can end up in a really um, shocking kind of result, especially when it's displayed like that. Because I don't know what they look like. I've never done one. But like you said, if it's just like, boom, father, and then it's not who you think your father is, then it's like, whoa, wait a minute, you know, like I can imagine that that's not a very healthy way to find out about any of
1: this. No, and and that's the thing is, you know, there's like you correctly point out, there's one thing taking these tests, knowing that the reason why you're taking the test. So for me, I took it knowing that that's what I was doing. Um, Whereas like my siblings, some of them have taken it with no idea, um, sadly. And for me, it's a big dilemma as well, because Jonathan and I have spoken about it because we're kind of torn between this, you know, we, we want to find other siblings that are out there, but we run the risk of them matching with us. And although it's not our fault, it you know you look at you look at it raw at a raw level, it's their parents' fault for not telling them. But by us matching with them, we are the ones we're the messengers, really. That um, potentially the ones, and it is, it's 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 quite hard to kind of. So that's what, you know when you went going back to the question you asked me earlier about things. Does it still bother you now? That is probably one of the things that does really bother me because if I get a ping on my phone from Ancestry or 23andMe or anything like that, I mean, it's not as bad as it used to be, but I used to be very quite obsessive checking, checking the accounts to see if I've had any more relative matches. Whereas now I, I you know, maybe do it like every couple of months, something like that. Whereas when I first sent my results off, I was checking it like daily, if, if not multiple times a day. Um, but yeah, there is that worry that, you know, the next person that that, that matches with us might not know. Um, but then, you, you, if you're not on the site, you're not going to find. I'm not going to find any of my siblings. So it's a real difficult dilemma in that sense.
0: Yeah, and particularly in your era, I, I think, I think there are other sites now, right? That, that there are donor sibling sites or something out there. I remember someone mentioning. Um,
1: yeah, so you've got different ways. You've, you've got your DNA testing, but you can connect with siblings. Um, so. It's mainly not so much for people of my era, but more like younger children and, you know, um, the younger generations that have used sperm or egg banks that have got um, like non-identifying information. So like donor ID numbers or aliases. So you've got the donor sibling registry, which is like a big, uh, an American registry set up by a lady called Wendy Kramer. Um, it's been running now for, for a number of years and, and they assist it's all a subscription paid service. So you go on and and you essentially, if you've got a child that's donor conceived, for example, you can go on there. If you've, if you've got an ID number of the donor that you used in the clinic or whatever, there's certain matching criteria and then they facilitate the the connections that way. So you, there's that way. And then there's a couple of other siblings. Um, I think it's my donor family. Testing me now. There's a, there's a couple of other sibling services if you like, but then you've got good old, like, Unofficial Facebook groups and things like that now, you know, well, people have got information, they've got a way of connecting and people have set up private Facebook groups with a donor ID and then just, have just – people have then been searching for, you know, the donor that they've used through some of these, um, like, main donor sibling sites, if you like, like um, unofficial Facebook. So they're, not, they're not officially attached to the clinic. It's mainly run by parents. And then people can connect that way. Um, so, yeah, there's there's lots of ways now. People, like you say, technology has come on so much. People find ways of getting. Of
0: it. Yeah. And have you met your siblings face to face?
1: No. So I've met, um, I've done like some virtual calls over Zoom, but we are due to meet. Like we're all in a, a really lovely like WhatsApp group now. Um, so, I mean, it's not really like pinging off all the time on our phones or anything like that. But I've had sort of good chats with them all individually um, and we are due to meet. I mean, there was discussions of like us doing like a big meetup, but I think that might be a little bit overwhelming. Um, so uh, like I say, I'm the only one of the guys. Um, so there's, it's me, a sister and I've got, uh, and two half brothers. Um, so half sister and two half brothers. Um, none of them have met Jonathan yet. Um, so that just shows you the variation in, you know, um, I, I was really keen to meet him. You know, I, I met him, you know, we met up a week after he, I spoke to him on the phone. Um, whereas my other siblings, they're not as, uh, they, they don't have that urgency and that's fine. So I think it's a really good, and when parents ask me about it, you know, and I say, look, there is such a spectrum of opinion um, and donor conceived people do feel differently about it. Just And like your friend who's obviously, I know adoption is is different, but there are some parallels. Um, you know, she she's expressed that she hasn't got a desire to, to, to find out more. And, you know, and that's fine too. And I, I think that does show the variation in, in, in opinion on, on this, on this one.
0: Yeah. And I think too, that it's important to say that either is okay. Meaning mm. if you have no desire to meet your donor, it doesn't make you any less of, you know, a person or anything like that. Like you're still who you are. And, and if you do, it doesn't make you like less grateful for your parents or less grateful for your experience I think that's important to point out because I think there probably is some internal conflict or maybe even some thoughts or feelings of I don't necessarily want to say betrayal but kind of I mean you know I think some people might say well like am I betraying my parents and wanting to meet this donor and does that mean I think that this donor is more of a dad than my dad or more of a mom than my mom or whatever I'm, I'm sure that goes through their mind um, as they're kind of processing whether or not they want to meet, um, the donor.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I've, it's, it's crossed my mind, you know, with my dad, I mean, that was the biggest worry when I did, um, you know, connect with Jonathan. I didn't want to upset my dad. You know, I, you know, he's me and my dad have got the most wonderful relationship and we still have. And I've ironically, I've always way more closer to my dad in terms of like, um, like our interests and personalities, um, you know, and, and we don't share genetics. So, so it's kind of shown me that you, you don't, you know, you don't need to have genetics to have an amazing relationship with a parent. Um, and I did worry that he would feel pushed out or upset or um, betrayed. Yeah. Even, but to be fair, he's been very, very supportive, which has been extremely helpful. Um, and it's shown me how important, I think, you know, moving on to our own donor conceived children how important that support is, because I think I have, I you know, without going into too much detail, I, I've had unsupportive family members, and the difference is is huge, and the difference in how they make me feel is huge. Um, so. I, I, you know, I thank my dad a lot for that, not only for making the path easier for me to deal with and doing what I need to do, which was to find Jonathan and and find out about him and 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 to have some questions answered. I also feel like he's shown me how important that way of doing things is for like how I want to do that with our kids. I want to be support. I want to be the supportive parent, and and you know, if my kids are curious, I, I want to be there a hundred percent of the way and, and make sure that they feel comfortable, that they're able to explore that side of them, of themselves. You know,
0: did you talk to your dad about Jonathan or wanting to meet Jonathan? Did you do that ahead of time and say, Hey, this is, I'm thinking about doing this. Are you okay with this? Or uh, how did that conversation go?
1: Yeah, I did. I was very mindful. I like my wife and I had long discussions about it. And one of the things I was really keen to do was break the cycle of keeping secrets. And I I was really, even though that was difficult conversations to have, I mean, I actually drove up specifically to where my parents live to say, look, I have sent my DNA off. This is what I'm doing. Um, at this point I didn't have the results. And then I did the same again. Then when I had my results back and I located Jonathan, I told them, I showed them a photograph. I said, like, I haven't met him yet, but I am going to. Um, and it was awkward. I'm not going to lie. It was, it was probably one of the most, you know, uncomfortable and difficult things I've had to do, but I'm really glad I did because it was all out in the open. Um, and even though it was awkward and uncomfortable, um, I, I, I think I'd like to think that I broke that cycle um, for the better really. Yeah.
0: No, I think that's great. I I think that's probably something that will come up for people. And I think you bring up a good point too, and, breaking the the secrecy cycle, <laughs> you know, especially yeah. for people who find out later in life, it just feels like, you know, you don't know anything like what you thought was your story is like no longer your story and rewriting a new story, or I don't want to say rewriting, but you know, writing a new chapter is sometimes so a little is. difficult.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a revision. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. It is. It is. Um, like you say, it doesn't change the way I was raised. You know, I, I, I was extremely fortunate. I had a great childhood. I was an only child. So, you know, I, I literally, um, and a lot of donor conceived people don't like the phrase, you know, I was so wanted, but I really was so wanted. And that was always a really positive thing for me. And it still is, you know, my, my parents tried really, really hard to love me. Um, and I often think, you know, that the universe collided for me to be created because if it wasn't for science, it wasn't, I mean, my mum would never have been in a relationship with Jonathan on a number yeah. of levels. <laughs> bit more, you know, naturally. Um, so what are the chance, you know, he was living in London. My parents were living, you know, hundreds of miles away, you know, the dad's in My mum had fertility problems, which is one of the reasons they ended up having IVF in the first place. So the, the odds are really stacked against me. So yeah. I, I, I really, genuinely do feel incredibly grateful to be here, um, and um, yeah, it doesn't excuse the the deception and all the admissions, right. but I, I've still got that to to come back on. And you know, I, my story doesn't the fact that I'm donor conceived doesn't change the fact that I had you know an incredible upbringing and and you know very loving and supportive parents in that sense. So yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful yeah. for
0: that. I think that's. Important to having had that positive experience. And there may be some people who won't. And maybe that makes it that much more painful and makes it yeah. that much more difficult to kind of work through. And so there are, I think, many different versions of the story that people find out that their donor conceived and a, a lot of different history that will change. Yeah what that feels like for different people. Um, But the great thing is that there's a spectrum and that, you know, nothing that people feel is necessarily wrong. What you feel is what you feel. And I think people um, just need to like not minimize and we need to not minimize other people's feelings. And on what they're going through because it is it's really tricky it's really complex and there's lots of feelings and stuff like life is complex enough and then you add this like blip you know that's like oh by the way you're like oh awesome yes, let's just,
1: yeah. yeah exactly i know yeah. life is a way of throwing some curveballs but no i mean it, it, you're really really right It's it there is a spectrum and i think the more i'm involved within the community um you know where the parents or donor conceived people the like advocacy that's you know which is really great to see because i think there in previous years the advocacy maybe from the donor conceived person's point of view hasn't really been there and the, the point those points of views have been kind of answered by parents or from the doctors and it's like actually you you are are you on are you asking the questions of the people that this affects not always the case um so i think that's really good but what i have learned is that there is a huge spectrum and even within my own sibling group there's a you know the ones that aren't necessarily they don't talk about it on social media because it doesn't bother them they're indifferent you know they're like one of my one half brother knew at age 11 or 12 and he decided to dna test at 40 because the kit was on sale that was literally his reasoning you know and it Fastly different you know, and he's known for thirty years, and it's just never bothered never bothered really to to look any further um it's just there is a huge spectrum, and again, like you say, I think as long as people aren't um it's it's just listening to the points of view, isn't it, without you know making assumptions or minimizing anybody's sort of responses to to, to their experiences
0: taking all of this and then moving on to your to what it was like to be. A recipient parent and kind of making that decision to say, okay, now we want to expand our family to include children. Um, what was that like? Because it, it was after you found out, right? Mm-hmm. You decide to have children after you found out you were donor conceived. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. What was that like? What, how did that conversation start? And then did everything that you went through, play into some of this conversation
1: yeah the main thing was the identity of the donor that we were going to use so um it, both my wife and i felt very strongly that we wanted to use a, either a known donor or a donor that was uh, had an open id so that is so depending on where you are in the world that can mean different things but essentially it means that when a child hits a certain age normally 18 they can apply for information identifying information on the on the donor um and that if you know it is instigated by the the then adult, I suppose, when they've turned 18. So that was our main focus, really, um, when we were trying to start a family. Um, my wife had always dreamed of being pregnant and carrying a pregnancy. So it was quite, it was a, quite a straightforward um, reasoning. And we, we used her eggs, so she carried. Um, but we did find out we ended up actually having IVF because Jez, um, Jez's AMH was extremely poor when we went for initial testing. So they were like, right, you need to get a wriggle on with um, treatment. And if you can afford IVF, we definitely recommend you. You don't even bother with IUI. You go straight to IVF. We were both, at this point, my wife was approaching 40 as well. Um, and But her AMH was even lower than what it should have been for that kind of age bracket. Um, so we were really fortunate, actually, that we even were able, you know, we were we were successful first time um, with twins as well, which was like incredibly, incredibly lucky. So we like looking back, but yeah, going back to the donor selection at that point, I think the main concern was that it was an open ID, which in the UK is, is the law anyway. So that was kind of already settled. We we did consider a known donor, but there were our main concerns, I think were kind of the legalities being an, um, an LGBTQ family, um, back in 2016, obviously, the laws were sort of very similar to they are now but there was still a lot of um like we had a lot of concerns about parental responsibility and um if we did have a known donor potential person in mind but it it, we were a bit worried about any agreements changing so like because it's all like unofficial because there's nothing legally binding if you use a known donor you know obviously you can have certain protections if you use a hfea clinic in the uk using a known donor but um we were still just really worried about um the implications of that long term so that's why we went for the the open id donor um but having i think what's happened to me in more recent years is that since i've become involved more within the community i think looking back my wife and i um and i think it's a case for a lot of couples or a lot of parents solo parents that are going through treatment that use donors you're very much led by the clinics you're very much led by the information they're giving you um we didn't really go outside the box i suppose and do our own homework about you know for example where the donors are sourced from um the the ethics of some of the bigger sperm banks for example and all this kind of stuff and I think it was only more in like recent years since I've done some more ad- advocacy kind of work, I've realized how an ethical, you know, the, the fertility industry is, it, you know, holistically, if you're looking at it on a worldwide international, um, you know, lens, it, it is really quite um, unethical, a lot of the practices. And um, sadly, I think the donor conceived person that's created is all, almost sort of bottom of the list in terms of um, rights and responsibilities sometimes, sadly. So I think that has been a big awakening for me. And I think though and that's one of the reasons I started kind of talking about my stories because I want to try and get the word out to other potential parents. Look, you know, donor conception is an incredible process. It means that you can be parents to parents that may well not otherwise have the chance. But please do your homework about the fertility industry about where the you know certain clinics are doing things a lot better than others, certain sperm banks and egg banks are doing things a lot better than others. Certain things like, um, you know, certain countries will, um, is still let's say, you know, it's still illegal to use anything other than a fully anonymous donor, for example, and maybe just try to take parents some of the potential things to consider if you are going to use an anonymous donor and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, all of that is kind of come in recent years for me, whereas I didn't really explore any of that when we were kind of looking at our, you know, building our own family. Well, let's go on a tangent a little bit. Let's talk about
0: that a little bit. I mean, we're here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because I think that's important to talk about, because as someone who may or may not use a, need to use a donor at some point mm-hmm. in my life, because I am over 40 at this point, um, those are important things to know. And I have no idea what to ask, and I have no idea what to look for.
1: And I, it varies country to country. I, yes, I understand that. So. Yeah, It does vary a lot country to country. I mean, um.
0: Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. We're just going to take a quick break, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I know infertility is a stressful time, and we often don't provide ourselves with enough self-care one way to give ourselves a little more self-care is with Prana Mats acupressure mats. This is what you can do. Give yourself about 20 minutes to lie down, and within those 20 minutes, this is what you're going to experience. There's going to be an increase in blood flow, a surge of endorphins, relief of muscular tension, and finally, a euphoric calm of the mind and body. So if you're due for some unwinding after a long day, go to pronomat.com and check out their different massage mat sets. Because the 40 and Infertile Podcast is a Pronomat affiliate, 40 and Infertile Podcast listeners get a special offer by using the code Forty and Infertile. That's the number four, the number zero, and and d infertile I N F E R T I L E all one word.
1: And now back to our episode. The big thing is just do it like you say, do your homework on like so you have like your different types of donors, so um, whether that's a known to you, so someone that you know. Um, some people source, that they're called known donors, but essentially they're strangers that they've sourced off the internet. That's very common and it's very common, um, not so much with egg donation because the very nature of the process is, means that you probably do have to form some kind of connection, but some couples that use a sperm donor, um, and certainly it's quite common at the moment, it's a big thing in the UK, um, so lesbian couples will source a sperm donor from Facebook groups, which because of the financial issues of going through a clinic, because donor sperm is ex- incredibly expensive, um, we'll find these donors, you know, and there is zero um, vetting. There's no testing. There's no STD checks. There's no obviously recording. So whereas in the UK, it you know, if you're using a donor at a clinic, their family number, sorry, fam- family numbers are restricted. Whereas if you use, someone off the internet that you've just sourced yourself, there is no record keeping or, or monitoring. So it's things like that really. So, yeah, but, uh, you know, I, I think if I was to do a podcast with you for like four hours, I probably still wouldn't cover it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, just, it's just looking, I mean, that would be the main thing. And just ask if you are going to obviously go through a clinic for like, if for example, like with egg donation, just ask where the egg donors come from. How do you recruit your egg donor? So the types of advertising, do they target students for example which is nothing you know nothing wrong because obviously they're going to target younger younger um donors but are are they advertising it a little bit distastefully on tiktok saying you know exchange your eggs for handbags i've seen these kinds of adverts and stuff like that you know do you want to afford the the next gucci handbag donate your eggs um all these kinds of things and you've got to think well if a donor is being recruited by those methods uh, is that the most effort you know it is all these kinds of questions you know and I, I think people going into a clinic and selecting a donor wouldn't necessarily think to ask those questions you know where's the donor you know how many families has a donor been used for where is the donor being distributed to is it just this country or are they being used in europe and america or australia because obviously that will impact family numbers and things like that so yeah it's just just Digging around to get the information.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's um, a good point. I I didn't think about how they recruit um, donors, and um, for me, it'd be an egg donor. So I I didn't realize that you know these are some of the things you have to think about. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that's very, you know, reasonable question to ask. Because I mean, you know, there was a recent um, piece that was on CNN um, that they did on donor conception, and. I admittedly, I don't know if I should say this, but (laughs) admittedly some, you know, you there will be stories that make it sound horrible and there will be stories that make it sound amazing. Right. That's the the spectrum is always there. There will be horror stories and there will be these like miracle stories. Right. And then there's all bunch of stuff in between. Yes. Um, But there are things like, you know, and I think time frame, too, and I hope Now things are better with better, like you said, record keeping, things like that, family history searching, like going through however many generations based on your clinic. Um, But, you know, like you say, there's not always um, like regulation behind it. You know, you do know a certain number of generations or if you do, um, you know, genetic testing to see if they have any genetic diseases or anything like that, depending on. The clinic and depending on the lab they use and how many things they test for, it may vary lab to lab, clinic to clinic. And so if you go to one sperm bank and they said, oh, they have no diseases that you have to worry about later in life and all that stuff. But if they only tested for 300 sperm bank, A or Egg Bank A, and you go to Egg Bank B, and they tested for four hundred or something.
1: You know what I mean? And so, like, comparison, isn't it? And it just gives you options, I think. Then, and I think the idea is that you know it is still a profit-driven industry. Certainly in America. I mean, you know, in the UK it's slightly different because they have minimum they have caps on um, compensation, so and it is is minimal really compared to other parts of the world. Um, But where it is, it is solely profit-driven, obviously. It's not in the clinics or fertility industries in uh, interest to do more checks because it costs them more money. So it means they can't make more profit. So the only way really it's going to change is either through enforced regulation. So statutory change, which is starting to happen in the States. I think Colorado recently, they introduced um, legislation. Um, I know there's been some in New York and a few other like pocket states, they're trying to, trying to introduce it. But the only other way it's going to change is if recipient parents push for that information to be standard. You know, so you're going in as a parent going, well, what medical checks have you done? You know, how have you got your medical history? Um, and even though it might not change it immediately, if they get enough parents asking the same questions you know have you got an internal sibling registry for example because so certain sperm banks in the states will run they've got their own internal sibling registry so what i was talking about earlier you you would be able to know where the sibling families were if you wanted to connect you could have like an opt-in which is a great function if you wanted that um, because it's verified you know you, you the sperm bank can verify that you know those siblings are you know, have been created from the same donor that you have used in your family. So all these things that I think if if parents are asking those questions, you know, my hope is that that will drive change from that direction. Because um, yeah, the only other way is through through regulatory, you know, statutory change from like a government level, which takes years and effort.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think you actually bring up a really good point. Like the best way to tackle um, change for donor-conceived people is a collaboration between mm-hmm. donor-conceived people and recipient parents. And I think a lot of times, too, what you see is there's almost this, like, um, mm, disagreeance or disagreement between mm-hmm. sometimes donor-conceived people and recipient parents. Because, I mean, you as kind of a two-in-one, you understand um, w- what donor conception can do for you it 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 made you a mother it Mm -hmm. it gave you you know this option that you wouldn't have had otherwise which is like mind-blowing life-changing like miracle Mm -hmm. stuff right now on the other hand being a donor conceived person you're like oh my gosh like all the stuff that I didn't get to see or know or any of that stuff it's it's like I mean, fortunately, you see both sides, but not everyone will have that. So what do you think? And I know we're getting off topic. We'll go back to your story in just a second. But what do you think is the best way to have the two sides see and understand like how they can work together or maybe, you know, kind of um, I don't want to say bury the hatchet because that's not the right way to say it but to collaborate what's the best way to kind of help both sides collaborate so they can work together for the benefit of everyone who's doing
1: yeah I, I think it that is I mean collaboration and I've started to see that happening probably more so in the you know I was in like lots of Facebook groups and things over like the last few years but more recently like Instagram does seem to be a bit more of a collaborative effort I mean you still get your threads where people um say not very nice things to each other. And I, I really just don't like to see that because I don't think it really helps, but it's understandable why it happens. Cause you get two very charged polar opinions sometimes, and both people think they're right. And then obviously that spirals into, you know, unpleasantries. But I think the best way is collaboration. I think it's just sharing stories about, so people talking about their experience being donor conceived, people talking about being, having problems with, you know, poor egg reserve or having, you know, childhood cancers, which means that they haven't been able to use their own eggs or, or, or you know, seeing both sides of the story and and, and try, you know, we never if you're not on both sides, you're not ever going to fully know what it's like, like, you know, you're not walked that path. But I think by sharing those stories and those accounts, it gives you a better idea of where that person's coming from and maybe why they feel like they do. Um, and then hopefully, you know, somewhere in the middle, <laughs> there's some progress, you know, um, cause there's no obviously everyone's got a story, haven't they? And, you know, some people come into this through, you know, certainly I've, I've learned a lot from parents as well, because I haven't got an infertility, um, back, obviously my parents did. So I've got that side of things, but me as, as an individual, I, you know, I've not had to go through any major problems with, with my wife and I getting pregnant apart from obviously we were social, you know, we're infertile via circumstance more than, you know medical reasons. But I've learned a lot from, you know, speaking with loads of parents, you know, in, you know, infertility circles and working on like the um, work on uh, Paths to Parenthood, which is uh, an online platform uh, with Becky Cairns, who uh, is defining mum on Instagram. So we've been doing, you know, I've done loads of work on there and I've really had my eyes opened to some of the struggles and um, the emotions and the the, the, the long haul emotions of the infertility can bring. Um, and yeah, and I just think those kinds of stories really, really help to kind of, um, yeah, to just sh- show a level of understanding. And like you say, flip side is that with like donor conceived people too. Okay. So back to your story,
0: you, uh, opted for an open ID donor and did you look for anything in a donor? Did, were there characteristics? Were there like certain things you looked for? Cause I'm just thinking about the people who are now now we've moved on to a different part of the story where we're talking about selecting a donor and some people, you know, might have a hard time selecting a donor or knowing what to look for. Or, you know, what are the things I should focus on or not focus on? And, you know, that's yeah,
1: really individual. I mean, a lot of people say that they look for someone that f- so that physically looks like the non-genetic parent, if you like. Um, and I'd say that was quite, you know, quite a thing with my wife and I. I mean, I'm sort of fair skin, fair, you know, fair hair, blue eyed so we did we did struggle actually for a donor uh, to match those characteristics that were at the bank at our local bank we really struggled to find someone that would match that um those characteristics but we did we did eventually find someone but in terms of personality ideally we would have wanted someone that was like me but actually the the donor profile that we picked the, the, um, you know the the donor that we used was actually quite different to me um in personality in lots of different ways and At first, we're a bit like, oh, like it would have been nice to have someone a bit more like me. But actually, you know, now the kids are here, like, you know, they're five now. Like, there are probably going to be certain traits that obviously they've got from the donor, but they are their own person as well. So, and I kind of, what was a really big issue for us, I suppose, at the start when we were searching and selecting a donor is become. I kind of don't even really think about it now that we've got children and they're here and Quinn and Adia, our, our kids are like their own little mini people doing their thing. You know, it's, it's kind of, um, yeah, it's the, the importance is sort of minimized quite a lot now for us as parents, you know?
0: Yeah. It's that whole like nature nurture question, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, I, I, how, like how much? I, yeah, like nature and nurture, I think. And I think, um, everyone always says, oh, you know, they're all fascinated by the the awe, aren't they? The nature or nurture, but I really do believe I think it is a combination. Um, yeah.
0: And so for recipient parents, and I don't know if this came up for you, but a, a lot of things for the non-genetic parent um, that you think about is, will you bond with your children, and will you still have that experience, and what will that be like if you know you're you're? Do you feel like an outsider, and you know? So what was that experience for like? like for you, did you have that concern or knowing your relationship with your dad? Did you think, Oh, I'm not really worried about it. Or what were your thoughts?
1: I I had a huge, I still, I still worried at the start about bonding. Um, like certainly with like when they have tiny little babies, like do worry about things like that. But I didn't, uh, as an overview, I wasn't, I think actually the fact that I could fall back on the relationship that I've got with my dad who isn't genetically related, you know, we're not genetically related, gave me a lot of confidence and reassurance. Um, so it was really, again, it was incredibly helpful actually to have that lived experience because I could, I kind of went into being a parent through donor conception, being the non-genetic parent with an element of, of confidence, I suppose, because I, I knew that I didn't need that genetic connection to, to love another human being, you know? Um, but I still had my worries. And like I say, was the kids were very, very small. I mean, it helped actually having twins because, it meant that we could literally share the responsibility. So um, even things like my, my wife didn't end up breastfeeding. So we, we uh, were able to really 100% share like the, the feeding and things like that, which was really, really helpful for me, I think, bonding um, and being able to do that kind of one-to-one. Um, and like I say, having twins, it meant that we could both go to like the really newborn baby groups because we would go with a baby each. <laughs> um, so all that really, and I, I think actually looking back, that really, really helped. So I don't know what it would be like with a single baby, obviously being the non-genetic parent and then the non-birthing parent, not maybe going to those classes as much, whether that would have made me feel a little bit left out. I don't know. But as it happened, it was all hands to the deck (laughs) because we had two. So (laughs) yeah, but um, it worked out really well. And I've never, I've had moments where the kids have got, like Quinn, my little boy, I think he was about two at the time and he was all for my wife like really like clingy to my wife and I had little doubts like it oh, was it because we don't share genetics um but actually kids just go through phases of favoring a parent regardless of genetics it's just normal kids doing their thing um but I think because because you've got that donor conception element it, it can it's like a, a layer of oh, I wonder, it, it causes a little bit of doubt, which I think is quite normal. But yeah, it's, it's just trying to work through that, really. Um, but even someone like myself, who's donor-conceived, I still had those kind of insecurities. Um, so,
0: yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I see those stories where, you know, even if you're the genetic birthing parent, and you, you like, sometimes your kid just doesn't want to have anything like yeah. to do with you. And um, like those, those parents are still heartbroken, you know, but I think If you're the non-birthing, non-genetic parent, and even if you are the birthing non-genetic parent and that happens, I think because there's that little piece of you that knows that information that you automatically attribute it to yes. well it must be because yeah. i'm not you, you know and you beat yourself up donor, over it
1: yeah you pin it on donor conception it could be nothing to do with it it could just be that you know that um my wife is more of a, a soft spot for letting you know watch an extra bit of tv or something like that you know it, it be anything because it's because you've got that donor conception element it's like oh it's because it, it's because i'm we don't share genetics or we don't share d- DNA. Yeah. And I, I think that's, I think that's kind of really normal to expect that. But it's, um, yeah, it's trying to work through that. But as the kids have got older, um, those times have kind of lessened, I think. I, I don't really worry about that at all. I mean, it'll probably come again when they're teenagers. I kind of been told that, you know, the next phase, you know, when they're obviously, you know, preteens and teenagers and maybe throw some unpleasantries our way about, you know, you're not my real mum, and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, I fully expect to have all that. Um, but yeah, you know, we'll have to deal with it when it comes up. As far as
0: um, telling your children, have you already, because they're five, so they hear stories and things like that have you already started telling them? Do you have
1: books? Like what, what was
0: your, what did you guys talk about as your kind of method for sharing their story?
1: Yeah. So we've, we've relied a lot on children's storybooks. Um, like I say, if any, I, I can give you what makes a baby by Corey Silverberg is a really, really good book. Gender neutral literally talks about a sperm and an egg and a body to grow it in, a, you know, body to grow a baby in. Um, it's really basic but the our kids love it and they still love it now and we started reading them that when they were like well before they were three um the donor conception network do some really good books that are like specific for different family setups um, which is really great and you can you know with all these books you can kind of adapt them a little bit yourselves and you know replace some of the words um so I, I definitely that's we relied a lot on that and I think some of that was just getting us used to telling the children as parents you know even before the kids were of an age to understand it I mean they understand you know the concepts now I mean they probably don't understand the implications but they understand that you know mammy me didn't have any sperm mama had some eggs but we needed a man to give us his sperm in order to make them and they they both grew inside mama my wife's belly you know so they totally they know that story they probably know it Probably better than some ten year olds, you know. <laughs> but um yeah, it's um a lot of it I think is getting yourself familiar and getting comfortable as parents because it is a bit awkward and it is a bit like you feel a bit self-conscious talking about things like that. And obviously if you've got insecurities and worries or some emotions tied up with actually the process of having a child through donor conception and maybe years of failed attempts through your own genetics or, or whatever it may be or even with donor, you know, donor sperm or eggs reading those books can be really emotional um so it, it's kind of getting through that bit so that you're confident as parents so your kids can you know see that it, it's okay to talk about it you know and that's what we try tried to do and just make it an really open environment in our household that they can talk about it if they want to
0: yeah and when did you start at what age did you start telling them
1: when well, they were babies, really, we we had the books from like day dot, and we like I say, not because they would understand it, just because we were getting practice in. And I would recommend anybody listening, you know, it, it just get yourself used to talking about it. I mean, you don't have to read it all the time; just have it on your bookshelf and get it out. And even like when you know, because you know, we've got a, a, even up to age two, they're not really understanding what's going on. Um but, yeah, and, and I I would definitely recommend doing it as early as possible. And if you haven't done it, you know, it's not too late. I would always say that, you know, if, if you're listening to this and you've got an older child and either you haven't told them or um, you maybe haven't discussed it that overtly with them, it's not too late. There's, there's lots of resources out there. And like I say, um, I don't know if you could able to drop some resources down, but um, I, well, I, I'm setting up my own website called um, allthingsdonorconception.com. So if anyone's listening... Um, I'm gonna have loads of stuff on there for like direct people for, for like resources and things like that so um yeah and, and like you say even if you just google you know donor conception network and things like that there's there is stuff out there to help with telling you know because it is a huge part and it's a really important part of your child's story
0: yeah and I think you bring up a really good point I hadn't thought about how awkward <laughs> it might feel or yeah. be but it's it's a really great point to, start super early, like when they don't understand, because when you're fumbling through your words, it may feel like you're, that there's, not that there is shame, but to them, they might register that as like, oh, why is it so weird that you're, you know what I mean? But once you get the pacing and the words down and you feel good about what you say, you can say it with confidence so that there's not yeah any, you know, fear around how you say it. Because I think um, I've talked to a few people and um a lot of people have said that they wanted to say what they wanted to say with intention and without um any perceived shame or without any perceived like hesitation in sharing because they didn't want their child to feel like this was a shameful thing or that this was something that they were embarrassed about but it's still a difficult topic so i think you bring up a really good point and that you could practice doing that over time, especially when they're little and have no idea what you're even saying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to get your words right to so that you feel good about saying and then it can just come out effortlessly. Yeah.
1: And it's it's human, you know, it's it's it is something that um, you know, I think I think if parents say that they don't feel awkward about it, I think that I, I struggle to see how, you know, that that's true. I think most people would have an element of some level of insecurity about it or some little bit of awkwardness because um because it brings up so much of what you've had to do to become parents, even if, you know, even like with my wife and I, where, like you say, we haven't had the infertility struggles, but we've still had to use a donor in order to have a family, which, you know, in an ideal world we wouldn't have had to do. Um, so you've got that element of it. Um, so I think, yeah, definitely, I 100% recommend getting the practice in. And it's like par- we all parents, I, I saw a brilliant post today, and it was something like, um, you know, Parenting a donor-conceived child is, I think, it's like five percent um, information and twenty-five percent winging it, because <laughs> you, you literally are. But I think that goes for parenting in general. Um, I think parenting in general is um, is a lot of winging it. Um, but if you can get some help along the way, then great, and that and that does come a lot of the times in books. I mean, I think now there are more resources. Like I say, I've um, been doing a lot of work for, on Pastor Parent Hub um which is is really tailored to support parents um with actual um professional guidance you know some extra help um not just sort of the basics of storytelling and and books but actual real like you know the practical examples of what you can do and how you can speak to your child your child that their donor conceived and how you can feel more confident as, as a parent and i think now that there is a shift um to provide parents with that support because up until now there really hasn't been that much. Um, and certainly when my parents were raising me, there was nothing. Um, so I'm really hopeful that, you know, that, that the community that we are seeing now, it, it, even though there are some conflicts still, it, it means that hopefully there is more support and more resources coming, you know, parents way.
0: Yeah. I think it's, um, important to talk about. I honestly had no idea any of this even existed. Like when, cause in my experience, when I went to these clinics, like. Uh, every fertility doctor has talked to me about donor eggs or mm-hmm. whatever. And like, just like, oh, you need a donor or you need a donor. I'm like, well, I'm not ready for that yet. Can we just like push pause on that? But it was just like, oh, you can use a donor, period. End of sentence. That was it, yeah. right? And so I didn't know anything. I didn't know about all of this. It, it had not honestly occurred to me. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know how I came across it, but I started when, because I've learned that Instagram had this whole like infertility community and I had no idea they were out there. And then that kind of like looped into, you know, donor conception as people were talking about donor conception. And it's like, you know, this like rabbit hole of <laughs> yeah. things that you find like, on the internet, like, right? The threads. <laughs> then, yeah, Right. Right. Or like this person links, this person who links this person. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, let me check that out. Oh, let me check that out. And so I go into this like rabbit hole and I'm like, Oh my gosh, and I had no idea there was all this stuff that you had to consider and so I thought, if I didn't know it, I'm sure there are people out there who have these conversations who are people like, oh, your solution is donor eggs or donor sperm or whatever, or donor, period, right? Yeah. End of sentence, and that's it. And then if you don't hear that this is some of the experience or, you know, if you are successful... And I say if because not everyone will be successful, even with donor, um, because there are many factors that contribute to this. Um, but you know, I, I didn't think about these things that come up afterwards. I didn't think about what it would be like to tell them. I didn't think about that. You know, you had to get these books, and I didn't think about you know anonymous versus open ID. I mean, a little bit, but I I didn't fully comprehend and understand all the nuances that come with it. I think it's important for people to know just so they're aware. It may not change their decision at all, which is fine. But, you know, at least you're aware and you can kind of move forward in um, a slightly different way, like how you tell your children. Maybe you start earlier. Maybe, you know, you have different books. Maybe you have a sibling, you know, you'd put them on a sibling registry. Maybe, you know, but these are all things I had not even considered, because I just didn't know. Yeah. And so like knowing is so important and plays such a big role in what their upbringing and their experience and knowing this is like, and I think we learned that from people who did find out like you later in life, what that does to you and how that feels and, yeah. you know, w- what that could be like. So, you know, it's, these are all really, really good points to bring up. Um Now, as far as like open ID and anonymous, I know there's a big, um, kind of discussion debate. I don't know what I want to call it. (laughs) Debate, maybe debate, uh, versus open ID and anonymous. What are the pros and cons to
1: each in your mind? Um, well, I haven't been born from an anonymous donor. So Jonathan obviously was anonymous (laughs) until I found him, um, but, you know, and lots of people just to say, you know, I had a positive experience finding him. Lots of donor see people that do find the donor, you know, for whatever reason, obviously, they they don't want to be found. They don't want that disruption in their lives because essentially they were promised anonymity. And that still happens today. Um, and I think the, the big negative, I suppose, is that um, essentially if a, if a donor is going into the process and they're being told, that they've got anonymity. One, I don't think a clinic can promise them an- anonymity anymore with DNA testing. I think it's kind of being blown out of the water anyway. So it's kind of some false promises there. And I think you are potentially, it's not fair on the donor, which is, you know, we haven't really spoken much about the donor perspective, but it's not fair to promise anonymity to the donors anymore. Um, that would be my first point. Obviously, the second point with that is that if you have, an individual that's born from an anonymous donor and they are curious and like me, they did want more information. You haven't got that door open at any point really, unless you then have to go down the route of DNA testing, etc. And then you are running a gauntlet, you know, whether or not it's going to work out because again, they may not be open to contact and the fallout of that would be potentially quite devastating to an individual if they are interested in seeking the donor. So, obviously, all of this is based on the fact that an individual may want that information. If it's someone like your friend, you know, or someone, you know, I know donor conceived people that aren't interested in finding out who the donor's identity, it's not a problem and it will never be a problem for them. And they, They go on with their lives and it doesn't bother them. I think the issue can be if you are that person who's born through an anonymous donor and you do want info and you can't get it. That is the problem with with those choices. But the flip side of that is I do know that anonymous, like, for example, with egg donation. So a lot of people in the UK go abroad, places like Spain and the Czech Republic, because egg donors are so... Um, hard to come by in the UK um, certainly um, with the certain eth- ethnic um, groups and things like that or certain if there's certain characteristics that you're looking for you might not have that choice so a lot of parents will go abroad but by going abroad they only have anonymous options so and, and then it's a financial element and all that kind of stuff so what I'm saying is you know anon- anonymity has for me I, I feel that there are lots of problems with using anonymous donors but I'm not entirely blind to the reasons why people still use them um certainly if that is your only chance of having a baby you know th- you know that that if you if your only chance is that you have to go to spain because it's the only place that you can get a donor and the only place that you can afford to have treatment and it means you have an anonymous donor then you know i, I do have great sympathy for those parents that end up having to, to do that um open id i mean open id does have its problems too even though you will get the identity when a child hits normally at 18 you've got 18 year gap so what happens in those 18 years if the child is curious um so you know there's lots of things like in the uk at the moment there's a big debate there actually our governing body that um oversees all of donor conception within the uk is actually considering removing anonymity at 18 and having open id donors from birth legally uh, th- through clinic treatment which i think is a really interesting discussion um so that's going to be an interesting time in the next couple of years but they're like the, th- the main things i suppose and then obviously you've got known donors which you can either source yourselves again without going down the rabbit hole of sort you know if you're sourcing the, like an, a, an essentially a stranger but through like facebook groups that's got complications but also someone that's known to you um may work for you as well so it's just I think going back to like what you were just talking about is is parents being able to make informed choices and I feel like sometimes like the example you gave there where donor eggs was just brought in is like an add-on almost like well we'll just do donor eggs you know without any applications trade or you know education really or or a little pamphlet even just to say look actually have you maybe thought about these are things that you might want to consider if you're going to go down the donor egg route. Um, it's, it's just parents being able to make informed choices.
0: Yeah, and I, I think, like you said, it's not saying you shouldn't do it. It's just saying, do it, but have an understanding that there are some of these things that pop up and some of these yeah. these, these things that you have to think about, and it's not as simple. Well, for me, at least right now, it's not as simple as I once thought it was.
1: Yeah, <laughs> the thing is that the, the, clinics, the clinics do sell... Donor conception is, a, is a, a simple solution. And a lot of the times, it's the most amazing solution. And, you know, for someone like my wife and I, it was our only option if we were going to have a family in that sense, um, you know, what was to have, you know, to use a donor. Um, and I'm incredibly grateful for that opportunity. But there are, I think, sometimes professionals, especially the clinics, they are a little bit blinkered. And it, that, like I say, the, the implication, they call it implications counselling in the UK, which varies dramatically. Um, it, it just, is either not there or it, it's so, so narrow. Um, it, it doesn't really discuss sort of things like sibling, you know, like I, I speak to so many parents now since I've started my Instagram account that contact me and like, I say, like, I didn't even think that my children would have siblings. Like it, it was never a concept, you know, it was so abstract and thought that my children would have half siblings out there. Like, wow. Like, you know, how do I find them? Where, where do I look? Like, should we be looking, you know? should i wait for my child to make choices themselves and all the i think the problem is is like the pressure is on isn't it to have the child which understandably certainly if you've been trying for many years is to have the baby but then parents are kind of left to deal with some of those issues and some of those potential um different pathways if you like kind of on their own um which i, I, I don't think is right
0: yeah no i agree i think um I mean, I'm glad I stumbled on a couple of these things because it kind of led me to you and it led me to Emma, Donor Child, and it led me to uh, Becky Kearns, um, Defining Mom, and um, like uh, all of these different accounts that have made me like just pause. uh, And it's not necessarily – a bad thing. It just made me pause and say, oh, okay, there's more I have to think about yeah. <laughs> than I originally thought. Um there were some questions that came in. Uh just a couple here. One of them was, um, did you struggle with your own need for a donor? Did you struggle with that decision?
1: Um, no, really. It it is a sort of quick answer to that. Um in an ideal world we wouldn't have had to use a donor. And I, I get like my wife and I always say, you know, we would have loved to have been able to create a baby, me and her, you know, but that's not how science works. Not currently anyway, Uh, another 50 years, who knows, but um, it it, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. So, um, but, and certainly for in our relationship status, that was our only option if we were going to, you know, my wife was going to have, a child that was, you know, if we weren't going to adopt or we weren't going to do any other route to to, to have in a family, uh, we would have had to use a donor. So, yeah, it was quite a straightforward option in that sense.
0: Did you feel like an inner conflict with like being donor conceived, like oh, I'm a donor conceived person and I'm using a donor like, you know, the, that feeling that you first had of deception and stuff like that of like oh my gosh my story or because you had that experience you're like i know that i'm going to tell my child from the beginning i know that our story is going to be different like did
1: that happen at all yeah the main thing for me was identity so um like we knew that we're going to select a donor that our children would be able to have the identity of so that we'd already kind of ruled that out as you know we we knew that that identity would be available by the donor's choice that we had (coughs) excuse me so that was sorted um and yeah, I think the, I, we, we knew that we were always going to be open and honest with our kids. So that wasn't going to be an, a, an issue either. Like I can say the, the more things I've had recently, I suppose is more frustration um, and upset towards the fertility industry. Uh, I think that's probably where my, you know, that, that's where I've had more conflict is because I can see, you know, you only have to go on some posts on Instagram and there's some latest thing from a sperm bank or something like that. And I've, it's great because they're, they're helping families. And I, you know, I obviously we use the sperm bank in order to have our kids, but I, I see it through a slightly different lens now. And, and that's a little bit frustrating. I can, I can kind of see like their marketing te- you know, tactics. And I know for example, that they don't do X, Y, and Z and they're not doing this type of thing ethically. Or I know for a fact that they're exporting the donors, you know, all these things that maybe I wish I didn't know. <laughs> and maybe it was probably a good thing. You know, I, Like I've often said, I wouldn't change my, you know, our kids for the world, but we maybe would have done things slightly differently if I'd have had this information before we were trying to have a family. Um, We we would have asked a few more questions, certainly than what we did. Do you feel 50% in each camp
0: when people are making judgments? So when you see these discussions online, like, do you feel like yourself kind of being your own debate? (laughs) Because you're like, well, as a recipient parent... And then, well, as a donor conceived person. Yeah, I've connected with a couple
1: of um, people in social media spaces that are also recipient parents and donor conceived. Some that have known from birth that they were donor conceived, some new, you know, later on in life, but have then gone on to have children for, for whatever reason, either infertility or because they're in an LGBTQ family or things. And it is quite a lonely place, I think, being in both camps because you don't entirely feel accepted in either sometimes would probably be a best way it can be a little bit isolating so and when you're in only spaces so when I say only spaces so if I'm in like um a, a donor conceived only space say in a forum you see some things in there about parents and you're like oh I'm a parent like you take it personally then because but then I'm also donor conceived, so I'm like oh I can see their point of view <laughs> um and then this flip side of that is I can be in parent only spaces and see some comments about donor conceived people you know whether or not we're all you know late discovery donor can see people all angry or you know jaded and all this kind of thing and that can be frustrating as well so yeah it's hard being on the fence if you like
0: (laughs) do you think having been an older person who found out that maybe you've had more life experience to draw on that maybe that helps whichever camp you're in to kind of process that easier you know what i mean like if you're 20, and you found out there, you have a little less life experience to draw from, and maybe you know, from an emotional mm-hmm. maturity level, too. Maybe there's you know, it can make it a little bit more difficult, yeah, versus finding out in kind of your early 30s. Although, I don't know
1: the Guidance now is sort of considered anything if you find out, you know, or you're told your donor conceived after like age three, then it's considered late discovery because of I think the idea is that you're you, you never have a memory of being told that your donor conceived, but that aside, I think obviously people find out at all stages of their life. You know, I know people in their 60s that have found out, you know, for, for example, um, you know, through DNA testing, for, um, and then they've been able to join the dots and work it out, um, but. I think certainly finding out later, I think as well, like, uh, I don't know, like doing the job that I used to do, because obviously I'm not not a police officer anymore. I, I saw a lot of walks of life, lots of people with lots of struggles, lots of different life experiences to myself, people that have really, really had horrific things thrown at them in life um you know not to say that finding out late in life isn't horrific because it can be and it can be completely uprooting and it was for me but sometimes for me on a personal level I, I think um you know and even down to things like my accident you know that was such a dramatic thing to happen in my life um even more so really than finding out I was donor conceived so in the grand scheme of things finding out I was donor conceived compared to what happened to me with my health and my accident and my career was quite um, not minimal, but you know, if it, it's hard to compare, but I'm not sure if I'm making sense, but I, that kind of, I've got all those things to draw on. Um, and yeah, maybe I think, I think certainly if I was to have found out maybe in my teenage years from a personal level, I think that probably would have been really difficult. I think kind of teenage years are hard as it is without having that kind of thrown at you. But um, yeah, maybe finding out a little bit older in that sense, not, I think everyone should be told as young as possible, like not to get that, mixed up. But I think if you are going to then find out, maybe finding out when I did in my thirties might have been better say than when I was a teenager or yeah, in my early twenties, for example.
0: Yeah, no, my, my question wasn't to, uh, encourage not telling people or, and it wasn't to encourage, um, or to minimize the experience at 20 or teens or whatever it, no matter what age you are, I think finding out, um, when you had no idea is going to be traumatic in some way, like it's going to be earth shattering, like ground moving rug pulled out from underneath you, like shattering experience. And I can only imagine what that's like. Um, So that's not the intention of my question. I just want to make sure that that's clear, but um, it's like, I mean, I don't know. I know some people and it, maybe it's personality wise too, that, you know, some people process it, differently and having the resources, like you said, to start out as you tell your children what this is, you know, what their story is and, you know, how they came to be, I think is really helpful. And then, you know, as an adult too, I think um, hopefully, you know, as people are finding out what it's like to be donor conceived, there can be more resources for adults too in kind of dealing with this because, I mean, it's not easy at any age when you find out, and, you know, certainly if, you know, if if you're in your thirties and forties and somehow you find out whether by these DNA tests or whatever, yeah, um, it can be still earth shattering and you still need resources to be able to process what's happening inside when you hear these words. So, I mean, all this stuff is so, so important. So um, for either camp, either for the donor conceived person who's finding out later in life, or even when they're younger, um, and for recipient parents, do you have any other tips, anything else that you feel like would make a difference or you found really helpful for you that people should know? I think like
1: finding a community has been very helpful. I think regardless of what camp you're in, like we spoke about earlier, I think whether that's like the online community or finding support groups, um, the, um, Donor-conceived community, a really good um, American-based not-for-profit um, that specialize in like community and support groups for donor-conceived people, like whether are late discovery or not. Um, and they're also starting to reach out and do some information for parents. Like I say, for recipient parents, um, you know, I I found some of the resources within um, Paths to Parent Hub, which is where I've been doing a lot more work recently in there. It's been so helpful. Uh, and I'm very um, like research driven and like um, really value like professional input from like child psychologists, certainly when it comes to like talking to our children and things like that. So, you know, those, those two um, resources would be great, but yeah, I would just say um, find other people that you can talk to that are maybe in your shoes, well, you know, regardless of what side of the fence you're on um, and, and, and get some support. Cause I think it, it just helps hugely. Um, and so thankful for social media in that sense, because it's opened up that world. I think going back a few years ago, you just didn't have those options. So um, yeah, just, uh, just definitely try and find, uh, find your community. Yeah. And
0: speaking of that, so how can people follow you? How can they find you? If they have questions for you or your experience, what's the best way to reach out to you? You, you talked about your website. So say your website again, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. But- well, it's,
1: it's being built currently. So you've got, you've got a school. Because it's being built, so um, this is- <laughs> so, um, so essentially, I, I've, I've decided to get one done because I, I was getting contacted all the time on like mess- on Instagram and things, and it was it's so difficult to keep track on Instagram, on instant messages. So I thought, right, and it'd be instead of sending long messages back to people, because I always feel like I, I want to do people justice and try and give them as much information as I can. I Thought, right, I'm gonna put it all on a one website so I can just direct people there. So it's allthingsdonorconception.com. So it's quite straightforward, allthingsdonorconception.com. Um, you'll find me on there, all my blog posts. Um, my Instagram account is really, I did not think about this when I set it up because it's a ridiculous handle. So it's dcp underscore journey underscore two RP, which essentially means donor conceived person's journey to a recipient parent, but it is the most, Non friendly, remember, memorable handle. But, um, yeah, by all means, come follow me. It's a public account. Um, and yeah, if you want to message me on there or there'll be a, a contact me page on my website, find me there. Um, and like I say, I'm soon to be launching um, a specific LGBTQ, um, branch of Paths to Parent Hub, which, um, again, that'll all be on my website. Yeah. So, going to be do- doing some more real specific content and membership for. Um, LGBTQ parents and parents-to-be through donor conception. So that's all exciting. Um, so, yeah, you've got the there as well, Victoria.
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, you'll have to come back on to tell me more about that once that's yes, all up yeah. and running. Like you say,
1: it's it's of it's, the Parent Hub has been running now for a couple of years with, with Becky. She's done a fantastic job. Um, so we're just looking now to expand it slightly for... Like I say, a bit more sort of LGBTQ-specific content, and also donor-conceived person's perspective content, and sort of added that kind of element to it. But um, yeah, it's growing daily. It's a fantastic community, so come join us. Um, and you know, people can join on a like monthly basis or like an annual membership. But you really the the, the, the level of support and content in there is is just it's incredible, really, and probably the best. And not just because I work for it, but um, it it is because I found it. I found it obviously before I started doing work for them. So um, and I was really impressed with with what's there. And it's probably some of the best that I've seen that's out there specific for donor conception. So, yeah, by all means, um, come join us.
0: Yes. No, I would love to share more of the LGBTQ plus um, community stories because Um, To be honest, I I haven't really found a whole lot of people to connect to. Um, And I do think that those stories matter to share because, I mean, there are questions that will come up. And, you know, there are some, um, you know, similarities that we share in our struggle anyway. Like I said, you know, with donor conception and stuff like that. And I don't want to leave their stories out of the conversation. I just I want to include all these different stories of what it's like to be in this space. And like nobody wants to be in this space for very long. And unfortunately, some of us are in this space longer than others. (laughs) So, you know, by circumstance or not, you know, uh, there are so many different ways to share the stories. So, um, you know, I want to make sure that they're included. So whenever this, your new um, project is up, I want to know about it, let me know. And I'd love to have you back on so we could talk, talk more about it. But I mean, today, thank you so much for spending so much time with me about you know, all these different considerations and your story and um, well, stories, you know, two different uh, stories that you had, um, because I think that they'll be so helpful for different people. And I think your perspective is so important, too, because I think you have a unique perspective that not a lot of people have. And, you know, it helps us kind of bridge the gap between you know, the two ideas of, of what that's like. So I, I really want to thank you for taking that time to share it with us.
1: Thank you for having me. And if anyone's still listening, I think we are like collectively it's over a <laughs> half of recorded. You deserve a medal listening to me talk that long. So um, so thank you for listening. And this uh, isn't Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, believe it or not, this is not the longest episode.
1: <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I think longest
0: we've yeah, it's a, I have, I want to say a couple that are over two hours. Wow! Ago. So this is definitely long form. And, and those episodes actually don't do too bad. Like people actually, I mean, whether or not they hit pause and listen to it for th- four or
1: five I'm days, it's a, a different room. story. Before <laughs> you do the housework
0: yeah, or, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You put, put your earbuds in yeah. while you're cleaning the tub
1: it's or definitely something definitely like that. Life. I don't You've know. You've done really well. so. <laughs> But I really appreciate you having me on anyway and, you know, share. I just hope it helps people and certain some of these conversations are what I would have loved to have had maybe, um, you know, a few years ago. Or if I, you know, even like when I found out I was going to conceive to maybe listen to someone that had been through it, it would have helped me massively. So, yeah, I I hope it reaches those people, too.
0: Yeah. Oh, you know, I think it really will. Just like you said, I think just having the conversation helps just putting it out there and just talking about it, I think starts the kind of motion starts the wheels spinning on things and hopefully change at some point in time, but change won't happen unless we're talking about it. Mm -hmm. And so you know, having these difficult conversations is really important. And you're a huge part of that in um, this space. So you know, I think the work that you're doing in all these different areas are so helpful. So thank you for doing that. And um, hopefully it won't be too long. I mean, I don't know when you're uh new program's going to be up but uh whenever that comes up then don't be shy cuz yep. I won't be <laughs>
1: <laughs> well in January so that, that's when we we're, we're going to start oh okay uh, a wait list soon and uh like I say my, my website will like hopefully pro- I'm not sure when you'll air this but it should be up in the next few weeks so um the website should be up oh, okay hopefully um uh,
0: yeah this week, so. this will probably air a little yeah it'll it'll air after after it's up so yeah it'll be up and running by the time we we this thing goes up so (laughs) well thank you so much and uh we'll talk soon take care thanks for having me thank you i want to thank you for tuning in today i hope you found today's episode helpful if you want a question or topic covered in future episodes please feel free to reach out to me on instagram at 40 and infertile Make sure you hit the subscribe button for alerts and new episodes, and I hope to see you back again soon.